Good afternoon, everyone. We are together again for our Friday afternoon Erev Shabbat Torah class with Rabbi Akiva Zweig, uh, Rosh Yeshiva at the Talmudic University of Florida. Today, Rabbi Zweig will be speaking about Parshas Kiseitze and three topics, growing our collective cohesion, creating a true Torah community, and the real purpose of marriage. The month of Elul is sponsored by Net and Eti Perez and family for the success of their children and Lilui Nishmas in loving memory of David Ben Masoda, that's David Beton, may his memory be a blessing, beloved father and grandfather. His dedication and great middos are dearly missed on his third yard site. This week is also anonymously sponsored in Hakoras Atov, in appreciation to Rabbi Zweig and the Zweig families for their teaching and sharing Torah. We are learning via marriage for our children and grandchildren and to find Shidduchim, uh, proper mates with clarity and speedily and abundant shalom bayis, peace in the home and a refuah shalema, total healing for all our people and the world. If you want to uh, listen to this class again, there will be a recording posted at the end of the year. You can also visit the podcast. At the end of the rabbi's comments, please be, used to short, be sure to use the raise hand icon at the bottom of the page so that the rabbi can, can make sure that you get to make your comments and ask your questions. Without further ado, Rabbi Akiva Zwei. Good afternoon, everyone. Joy and a privilege to be studying with you today. Hope everyone is having a great start to their Elul. I'd love to remind everyone that if you are at all able to come to the Yeshiva here in 4000 Alton Road, Miami Beach, Florida, and participate in some of our morning learning, we would love to have you. The Yeshiva is specifically designed these next several weeks for outside lay people or even scholars to come in and participate with us in our morning studies. We have study partners, small groups, as well as classes. And on Sundays, we are holding special panel discussions. This Sunday, we're going to have two rabbis from Yeshiva and one from Sha'ari Ezra, Rabbi Sadians, on the theme of making the most of your month of Elul. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Kiseitze. And it contains a plethora of laws, and some of them are fascinating in their own right, but especially as a collection of laws, it's really quite compelling to think about so many different facets that the Torah is addressing here and deal a little bit with the question of what is the overall point and theme of all of these laws. We have, for example, the law of the woman of captivity, where a Jewish man is allowed to initially marry a non-Jewish woman. We have the law of the Ben Sorer Umora, which is the wayward wife, I'm sorry, wayward son. We have some of the laws of inheritance, capital crime, returning lost objects. A man or a woman is not allowed to wear the other one's clothing, no cross-dressing. Uh, of finding a mother on her nest and sending away the mother bird, laws of building a new home, and a dress on a Wednesday and in a Thursday next year, last night, uh, would have a uh, 
would love for everyone to uh, get a chance to listen to those because it will help inform some of what we're talking about today. Can everyone hear me? Okay, I think most people are, are hearing me okay. Yes, okay. we hear you. Okay, great. In addition to the laws of marriage, there are also the laws of divorce, and even Amalek and the general laws of which nations uh, were able to easily convert and marry into the Jewish people and which ones not. All of this is contained in our parsha. So what I'd like to do, however, in order to make sense more of our parsha, is to look at several parshios, several sections of the book of Devarim, taking us all the way back to Parshas Re'eh. Okay, Parshas Re'eh, which was a few weeks ago, opens with the idea that Hashem is putting in front of us a blessing and a curse, and that eventually in the land of Israel, there will be a requirement to place blessings on the mountain of Gerizim and to place curses on the mountain of Eva. And then the Torah continues from that point forward, discussing many different areas of law, such as destroying the idolatrous places of worship and altars, etc., temples that were constructed in the land of Israel by the non-Jews, and also the obligation for people to go to the Holy Temple to bring offerings and not to do so outside the Holy Temple. No bamos, no temporary altars are allowed for the Jewish people, even if they are made for Hashem. The laws of kosher and not kosher, the laws of giving tithes, the laws of the holidays. There are many, many, many laws. Okay? And we're going to come back in a minute to discussing Parashas Re'eh, but now if we go ahead to Shoftim, the Torah tells us the obligation to set up systems of justice, to have courts where everyone is able to obtain justice. And the importance of that law is that by doing so, we are entitled to inherit the land of Israel and to live there as Hashem has promised us. And then, of course, included in Parashas Shoftim are some of the laws of war, as well as at the end, which is the last section of Parsha Shoftim immediately pr prior to our Parsha, Parsha's Kisetze, we have the laws of the Egla Arufa, which is the decapitated calf, a procedure done when somebody is found, does not know from which city this corpse came and, and uh, how this happened. So there's a law, a procedure that's done where the elders come from Jerusalem and they decapitate a calf and they proclaim asking for forgiveness and that we should be atoned for the sin of, of this uh, dead Jewish person. And then the Torah talks our parasha about the going out to war and finding a beautiful woman of captivity and being attracted to her. So all of this is a very interesting progression. Now, part of what makes it even more interesting, and I did a few classes on this a few weeks ago, is that over the next couple of weeks, we are going to be referring to the Messianic era. We are going to be talking about the ultimate redemption and future. Most of the sentences that Rambam quotes in the Shoftim section of his work, the Yad HaChazaka, called Mishnah Torah, the sentences that kind of deal with the fact that there's a guarantee that the Jewish people will be redeemed 
from all corners of the earth and go back to the land of Israel and there will be an ultimate redemption, that all comes up in Parshas Nitzavim. Parshas Nitzavim is in two weeks from today. Okay, so we have a very interesting, these different laws, and, and before we finish the Torah, we sort of talk about the Messianic era. So what I would like to do is propose the following big picture and then take everybody through some of the progression and then we can understand a lot more about the intentions of our Parsha as well. The beginning of the book of Devarim describes Moshe recounting the history of the Jewish people, but the main focus of the history of the Jewish people in the desert is the giving of the Torah, the sin of the golden calf, and the spies, which ultimately leads to the fact that the Jewish people are in the desert for 40 years. But at the end of Parshas Vayashanan, and at the end of Parshas Ekev, the Torah also teaches us the paragraphs of Shema. Now, what I would like to suggest, that once the Torah teaches us the Parshios of Shema, the Torah is setting up for us a system that we need to understand is the formula, not only for bringing the Mashiach, but is the formula for building Torah society the way that it was intended from the beginning and therefore will rectify the sin of the golden calf and the sin of the spies. Okay, everybody give me a second to just work on technicalities for one minute. My apologies. So the suggestion that I have is that what the Torah is doing is telling us that the fulcrum of the Torah, the essential component of the Torah upon which everything else rests is the giving of the Torah at Har Sinai and what followed from that. And in order for the Jewish people to fulfill their ultimate destiny, which as we mentioned concludes with the coming of the Mashiach, the Torah is outlining everything beginning in Parshas Re'eh. So Shema is the fundamental start, and then everything else that the Torah speaks about is for us to build a proper Torah society, which will allow us to achieve the ultimate goals of the giving of the Torah at Har Sinai. Now, you'll recall that a few weeks ago we explained that the two Parshios of Shema teach us that there is not only an individual obligation to love Hashem and to serve Hashem, but there is a communal responsibility whereby we have to be inspiring each other to that love and that awe and that service of Hashem. Based on that, the Torah then says, in my opinion, in Parshas Re'eh, once you understand that there is this genuine collective responsibility to come to love and serve Hashem, you need to know that the blessing and the curses of life are 100% dependent upon you. But not you, the individual, you, the collective Jewish people. And that the entering the land of Israel can only be done with that mindset, which is why the first thing before the conquest of Jericho, the first thing that happens when the Jewish people enter the land of Israel 
is engaged in the covenant re re regarding the blessings and the curses of the Jewish people. So Parshas Re'eh tells us that that's going to happen. Parshas Kisavo, which is next week's Parsha, is going to outline the specifics of that event that will take place in the land of Israel. But the starting point is that we have a collective mission, and the only way to actually fulfill everything that the Torah is requiring from us and come to achieving that collective blessing is if we act as a unit to ensure that we are constructing Torah society as a whole. And we're doing that together. So Parshas Re'eh essentially discusses accepting the understanding that the curse and the blessing is upon us, that there is a central place where the Jewish people must come together three times a year to do the service. And we cannot do the service willy-nilly anywhere else in the land of Israel because we need to be working together. Another reason why davening with a minion and showing up as a community in general is so tremendously important. Parsha Shoftim speaks this out even more clearly. If we just look at the beginning sentences of Parsha Shoftim, the Torah tells us that we have to set up systems of justice. Shoftim v'shotim titen lecha. Okay, simple question, everybody. Who is appointing the justices? You, the community. Who's the community? You know, as we know, most people don't want to be responsible for anything in the community. Unless we have Jewish people that are willing to take communal responsibility, there will be no systems of justice. And not only that, the Torah says, who is responsible for ensuring that the We're frozen. Sorry about that. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, you're frozen for a moment. Go ahead, please. Who is responsible for the system of justice? The answer is the anonymous collective community. But it's so clear in the Torah because the Torah then says, you singular shall not pervert justice. You singular shall not show favoritism. You singular shall not take a bribe. That's not an obligation on the judges. That's an obligation on us the people, the community. So if we know, and this unfortunately happens, if we know that a court is not an acceptable court, they are not a proper court, they are a corrupt court, you, me, and everyone around has an obligation to do something about that. We do. We can't just say, well, you know, it's not none of my business, you know, that's just that court. No, the obligation is on the anonymous collective congregation. But not only that, the Torah then tells us, you singular pursue justice in order that you singular will live and you singular will inherit the land of Israel. But that sentence makes no sense. We're only talking about setting up systems of justice in the land of Israel. That's what the Torah is referring to. Set up systems of justice in your cities, according to your tribes, and everything that Hashem gives to you. And if you do this, then you're going to inherit the land of Israel. You already inherited the land of Israel. So here is what the Torah is telling us. There is no such thing as having anything, but especially the land of Israel, if we're not using it properly.
That means if a person has a car and they don't know how to drive it, do they effectively have a car? No. If they can't make use out over or any person cannot make use over what they have with what they have, then they don't really have it. And that's why the rabbis say, who is a wealthy person? Someone who is happy with what he has. You're only able to possess something and to be wealthy if you understand what it is, you appreciate it, and part of appreciating it is knowing how to use it. Otherwise, you're not wealthy. You actually don't possess it. It doesn't matter if it's technically yours. It's not yours. A person can have a child, not have a relationship with the child. You don't have the child. It doesn't matter that they're your child, genetically or otherwise. You don't have a functionality, then it's not yours. Says the Torah, without an anonymous collective community that's taking responsibility for pursuing justice in all the different manners that it needs to be that the Torah describes, you don't have Eretz Yisrael. For those of us that think that we have Eretz Yisrael today, and you understand what's happening in the land of Israel, you have to recheck your thinking and remind yourselves that the Torah says you haven't inherited it yet. Because until you have that, you don't actually own it. Yes, technically, you, you know, thank God we have access. That's fantastic. But Eretz Yisrael, what it provides both materially and spiritually, will be infinitely enhanced if we have a collective community that is focused on true justice, no favoritism, no bribes, etc., not only that, you will really feel alive. You'll live longer. You'll live more vibrantly. You'll live more happily. You will have a whole different sense of living. That's what the Torah means. And what's so important, of course, is to understand, like so many things in the Torah, that there isn't an actual arrival point. If you picture, you know, climbing, you know, Everest or any other, you know, mountain, you know, usually there's an end point. When it comes to spiritual pursuits, it's an infinite spiral upwards. And so therefore there will be more living and there will be more possessing. And Eretz Yisrael will provide more amazing things on every level, spiritual and uh, even physical, etc. And then the Torah tells us that fundamentally, in addition to this entire system of justice that we develop, and understanding uh, that we have to be different than the other nations of the world. We have to have true prophets and can't listen to false prophets. We have to take responsibility for accidental murders. And we have to have proper other elements of the justice system, proper witnesses, etc. We also have to go to war collectively, carefully and properly for the right reasons and treat the other nations well as a collective unit. And if, God forbid, there is an unsolved murder and the corpse is found between two cities, we also have to deal with that. So I want to now highlight this point that we're making about the collective society with, with a very interesting facet of the law of the, of the decapitated calf. And that's going to bring us right into our parsha. We'll spend about another 10 minutes or so, you know, finishing through the rest of the parsha and, uh, you know, tying it all together. Unbeknownst to most people, the law of the decapitated calf is not for every corpse that is found and for every unsolved murder. 
Specifically, it's only if the corpse was killed through a regular, so to speak, metal instrument like a knife or a sword, probably an arrow. Because the word that the Torah uses is the word that the Torah uses in most places to describe someone who was killed by a sword, the word halal. Which means that if a drowned person is found, or a person who was suffocated to death was found, there is no law of the golden of the of the uh, decapitated calf. And the question is obviously why not? Somebody died. We don't know how it happened. Seemingly, somebody should take responsibility. What does it matter how the person died? It should make no difference. But this is the the rule in the in in the Talmud and in, in the in the people who decide the law. Why should it matter how the person was killed? And I think what the Torah is telling us here is exactly our point. We don't have the ability or the obligation as a collective society to chase down every single thing of injustice that happens. Yeah, that would be great if it would be possible. Right? But we can't as a community, as an unnamed collective anonymous entity, take responsibility for every single thing that goes wrong. Yes, as an individual, when we know something, something we can do about it, sure, we should try. But as a community, what we have to ensure is that there's no industry of banditry as a regular feature of society. Dare I say Mexico? Right? There are certain places in the world where it's just accepted. Of course you pay and don't pay for your ticket. Of course you can't travel from this city to that city and expect not to be attacked and hijacked and robbed, right? That cannot happen in Jewish society. And because of that, the Torah says a fascinating thing, that when it comes to finding a corpse, it's only if it was killed in the way that normal people get killed by people who practice the industry of murder. And typically that's with a metal instrument. Every crime of passion that happens, a person chokes someone, a person drowns someone, yeah, you can always have those one-off cases. But to have a situation where people are being killed, i.e. on a somewhat regular basis, because you know we let the highway robbery industry continue, we cannot function as a Torah society if we collectively, in the anonymous group, are not preventing that kind of treachery and that kind of industry from growing and spreading. Then the Torah tells us that part of what we must recognize as the Jewish people, and this is the opening of our Parsha, is that we have to have such a deep caring for the Jewish people where we really have this, this, um, this tendency to care about what happens to the people who get killed, to make sure that society as a whole is functioning well. If we, God forbid, have a person among us who really would rather marry a non-Jewish woman a woman of captivity, than a Jewish woman from home, it can be a disastrous situation. And even though the Torah makes an allowance for it, what the Torah really does is paint the picture of the unhealthy dynamics that evolve. Now, I'm not going to go too much into it, but what I discussed a lot on Wednesday is that one of the major things that the rabbis teach us about Jewish marriage is that we have to make sure that it is functioning well. If we have a marriage that is basically two people disaffected from one another, the husband, for example, wishes he could marry someone else, 
the wife, for example, wishes she wasn't really married and is acting in a loose fashion, or there's such a short fuse between the two of them that they get angry at each other over small things. All of these are cases where the marriage is not happening well. And therefore, there is an allowance for divorce. At the same time, and especially if you get the Thursday night chair, you'll see how there's a whole formula for how to remediate a marriage and to make it an actual marriage of intimacy and good health and properly function. But for our purposes, the point of this discussion in the Torah is that if we do not have healthy homes, we will not have healthy children. And if we do not have healthy homes producing healthy children, we will not have a functioning Torah society. And so therefore the Torah begins by telling us an extreme example where a man ends up unfortunately marrying a non-Jewish woman, going through whatever process the Torah describes, but he ends up hating her, and then he produces a child, or the two of them produce a child that is a wayward son, and he becomes a threat to society. The Torah tells you, you can't have that as part of Jewish society. This is one of the hardest laws in the Torah, that the Torah requires a 13-year-old boy to be killed because he's a gluttonous, and drunkard type of a person, one of the most difficult laws that we could possibly imagine in the Torah, but when we understand it from the point of view that we as a society are getting involved in this situation because we can't have where it's okay as a matter of the norm, so to speak, for families to produce completely dysfunctional children, that's called society taking responsibility. You know, there is zero question in my mind that the biggest threats to our current, let's call it, hopefully relatively tranquil state of living that we have in this country and even in other developed countries in the world, whether it's Israel, Europe, or whatever, it depends on having normal people. And the more we have less normal people, the more we have crazy ideologies that develop money and power grabs that become necessary in order for people to know how to survive and all sorts of rationalizations as to why people don't really have to be normal and it's nobody's fault, but yet society, quote unquote, everybody else has to take care of the situation and provide. What the Torah is telling us is that we cannot have a functioning Torah society unless we are concentrating on making sure that we're having healthy people that are being developed and produced. And we as a society have a collective responsibility to ensure that, which is why the parents of this wayward son need to go to the basin, and the basin has to get involved and make a decision. It is true that technically this case never happened, but the concept of what it's teaching us is enormous. I have um, the privilege to this past just just two nights ago to speak to one of the administrators of one of our schools. You know, a lot of schools struggle mightily with what's called special needs. And what this administrator was telling me that in, in, in our uh, elementary school, we don't have a special needs program. We actually have a different method of success program for children who are actually brilliant but don't function well in groups and they function much better either, you know, one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two. And this allows very brilliant people to actually function and become uh, fulfilling of their potential. 
And the point is, as a society, we have to care about this. Otherwise, we don't have a Torah society. Because part of what a Torah society mandates is to make sure that we are producing healthy and normal next generation people. And so therefore, the laws of marriage and divorce that come up in our parsha are specifically with this in mind, that if there are things, cracks and fissures in society that need to be addressed, so like we're pre preventing the accidental murders with the cities of refuge, and we're dealing with that problem, we want people to take life more seriously, as mentioned in Parsha Shoftim, we're the unknown, unnamed victim of a murder, and it seems like that's the result of an industry like a mafia, etc. Right? All of this is very important. It is, all of this is very important for us to address for going to maintain a long-term healthy Torah society. And so really, I would suggest that the purpose of marriage in the Torah is not only so that people shouldn't be lonely, but it's to produce the next generation of healthy people. Of course, it's also to produce one's own self to be healthy. People who are not able to function in an intimate relationship because they are either too self-absorbed, they don't know how to work with another person. And I'm not saying that that's why all people are unmarried, but I'm just saying that's why for the most part, you know, it's important for a person to train themselves in the giving aspect of what marriage really demands. That creates a healthier person. For sure, if there's shalom in the marriage, that has an opportunity to create healthier children. And that's what we need ultimately to have a society that's going to be able to function well. And all of this, the Torah is saying, is the way to live out the mission of the cursing of the curse and the blessing that the Torah talks about at the beginning of Parshas Re'eh and that we undertake when we enter the land of Israel. We have to realize that we are the arbiters. We are the determiners if we're going to have blessing or if we're going to have curse. And as the Torah says in Parshas Nitzavim, the Torah predicts that after the Jewish people experience both the curse and the blessing, that's when they're going to realize they need to do Teshuvah. That's what the Torah says in Parashat Nitzavim. Unfortunately, as a Jewish people, we didn't learn everything we were supposed to learn the first time around, entering the land of Israel, etc. We needed to get the exile that we've gotten and the sufferings that we've had. But hopefully now, if we really focus on what the Torah is saying and we learn the lessons from our history, we'll be able to realize what it really takes to have the blessing, which is to build a society with the sense of collective responsibility. I'm just going to finish off with this one point from Parshas Nisavim because it's so, so critical that the Torah tells us that even when there is a, a, a single person or a family or a tribe that strays from after Hashem, the Torah tells us that Hashem is going to separate that person after evil and destroy that single person, that family, and that tribe. But then the Torah says that the nations of the world are going to look at the land of Israel and they're going to wonder what happened. What happened to these Jews? What happened to the promises? What happened to, you know, the land of Israel? Where are these Jews? You know what the nations of the world are going to say? Oh, they didn't listen to Hashem. And they did idolatry. And they didn't follow after all these, you know, rules that the Torah says. That's what the, parsha, the sentences in Parshat Nitzavim tell us. So what I don't understand is we just talked about a single person or a family or a tribe. And it said that Hashem separated them out. So why did the Jews go into exile? 
why are we in a situation where all the Jews left if it was just a single person or a family or a tribe? And the answer is because the rest of the nation didn't take responsibility for the single person, the family, or the tribe. And that's what these parshios are teaching us. In order for us to actually build a society that is utopian, to have the Mashiach with the right king, etc., be our ultimate future, we have to take the lessons of the fact that the Torah that Hashem gave us at Mount Sinai is the ultimate important and uh, formula for how to succeed. And the way that has to play out fundamentally, as the Parashiyos Shema teach us, is where we take collective responsibility for one another in order to build a collective, healthy Torah society. So marriage is at the forefront of that. Healthy, good Jewish marriage is necessary in order for the next generation of children to develop properly. And so are all the full awareness of the different things that happen in our communities, something that we need to be thinking about and taking responsibility for that. I mean, I have stories every day, whether it's people that need money or people that are in machlokas with each other, uh, whether it's within the same family or it's within different communities. And it would be very easy to say, well, that's not my problem. You know, that's, what do I have to do with that? You know, because I know this person, I have to get involved. So we're saying, yes, we have to get involved if we can be at all helpful, because in order to truly live and in truly inherit the land of Israel, we have to be tzedek, tzedek, tirdof. You, the collective, unnamed group of society, needs to always be pursuing tzedek in order that you live and inherit Eretz Yisrael the way that it's meant to be so that we can take not only physical possession of it, but actually benefit from all the magical things that it has to offer us. Any, I think we'll, we'll stop here and go to any questions or comments. Henry, uh, that's clapping. Or is that a raised hand? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's a raised hand. Hi, how okay, are you? please. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, how are you? Okay, good. Well, we're really witnessing in America here today uh apathy of justice. We see what's going on with the Department of Justice, the, the political scene is good craziness. I haven't seen here forty five years. And also here where I live in Los Angeles, every couple of days we have people raiding stores and stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars of handbags and there's no loss to really go after these people. Nothing is being done. It's hard to believe that right in front of us, society is totally falling apart. So what is our responsibility uh, as a group of religious Jews living in the middle of all this chaos? And we're sort of in a cocoon because we're protected by it. We're our own society. But we know exactly what's going on. Everyone knows what's going on. And it's very concerning. Yeah, it's very concerning. Um, I don't know that I have a great answer, but what, what occurs to me is that what the Torah really promotes in order to create this kind of a successful collective is a lot of caring. And we have the mitzvahs of returning lost objects. We have the mitzvah of being aware of the accidental murderer or the people that, uh, you know, the unnamed victims of murder, uh, all the laws of charity, all the laws of helping people with their loads. There, there's a tremendous amount that the Torah seems to be talking about, which is to develop relationships that are intertwined in very caring ways. So first of all, 
uh, for sure, for the Jewish people, we obviously need a lot more of that, right? where people are really showing caring for each other. But I do think that we need to be role models of example where, you know, we teach the world that we need to be getting out of our loneliness, isolation uh, behaviors, which is happening more and more, as we know, because of technology, et cetera, relationships are not real, right? And, and cultivating good, healthy um, interactions with people. One of the things that I was actually able to do recently in New Bloomfield, Pennsylvania, was we invited the community, meaning the non-Jewish community, to our house for a quote-unquote, you know, like block party get-together, uh, where I served them all chalent. And what was really interesting, it was Sunday, it wasn't Shabbos, but what was really interesting is that they were all so happy to be with each other and they haven't been getting together with one another since COVID. And I don't know what it was before. So it's really, what really struck me is that here it takes this religious guy from Miami who doesn't even live there, except a couple you know, weeks, a month or two a year, getting everybody else together so that they should realize that they actually want to have a relationship with one another. I think if American society uh, could do uh, better in developing real relationships with each other, it's it's likely that you know more justice would be pursued. Instead of everybody always being oppositional, right, and saying you know the Democrat is the enemy, the Republican is the enemy, and being very disconnected. I think what the Torah is really advocating is to build more genuine relationships. Now, of course, we're just a tiny percentage of people, and your question is always great because we as Jews should want to know what should we do to help the situation. But I, I do think those two steps are very useful. Building better caring relationships interpersonally with each other among us Jews. And there's a lot of work that can be done there. Right? Instead of the normal people you invite over for Shabbos, invite someone else over. I don't mean abnormal people, but I mean other people instead of the regular people. Um, you know, be looking to cultivate more relationships and more caring ones and also be an example to the world of that type of caring wherever possible. Even if it is developing relationships to some extent, you know, maybe you have coworkers or partners or employees and show them real caring. It's something I actually saw very, very often from my parents, the way that I'm always amazed that anybody who ever works with my parents, even today, they think the world of them because they get such a sense of being cared for by my parents. I'll just tell you this little thing. My parents usually come to me and then we'll go to Dr. Patterson. Sorry to take so long, but I just want to show you, it's like really real. Um, my parents usually eat by us on a Friday night. And very often somebody helps my father to leave our home and go back to his place. He insists, and I'm talking about, this happened no less than 40 times, that we pack a dessert to go for the person that's helping. Sorry. For the person that's helping, right? He always says, you have something for them. So we learned from him. That, yeah, that's the way to treat someone. And they feel like a human being. They feel like they're cared for, not just like some person. You know, they're part of the meal to some extent. You come and, you know, we're so happy that you came and we can share with you. I'm just giving that as an example. I, I do think that real caring relationships would go a long way to healing this country. And by the way, it is one of the biggest problems that I've learned from the people in Pennsylvania that is challenging these churches is that they don't have community gatherings and relationship building. And the churches are breaking up over ideological issues and partially they can't resolve because they don't really care about each other. Uh, Dr. Patterson. Thank you, Rabbi, again. It's good to see you. Uh, 
as you may know, I've been traveling and all you know with uh, ISCAP and so on. But um, I love always love your remarks. Your the last you made about caring is I think crucial, and it's crucial to understanding what tzedek means, uh, why it's why the tzedek tzedek is repeated, why it has to be pursued. I, I, you know, running after it as if it will elude you if you're not careful. Uh, and of course, uh, many are, you know, point out the relation between Sedek and Sadaka. It's about dwelling. The, the Dvarim is about entering a land in order to dwell in, uh, as an inheritance. And as you said, an, an inheritance is not something exactly that comes into our possession it's something that comes into our care uh, moses appointed shomrim what are the shomrim doing they're watching over they're caring for uh, and without this caring there's no dwelling in the land there's no inheritance and the, you know the three things there are three conditions that will keep uh, that uh, allows a man not to you know go to war one is as we saw last week, planting a vineyard, uh, signifying, you know, cultivating, bringing life from the land of the vineyard. Of course, the, the pre-Hagafen signifies a, a relation to Hashem. Uh, building a house, a dwelling place. A house is a place where, as as you your remarks just illustrated, where you invite someone to your table the table where you invite people takes the place of the altar. Uh, and marriage, if, if he's getting married, I, I love what you say about marriage. I, I love to be reminded that marriage is kiddushin. It's not just, it's not just a contractual well, arrangement. There is a contract involved, but it's not reducible to a, a business transaction. It's kiddushin. Uh, it's it's about drawing holiness into this realm because it's the relation through which souls are able to enter this realm with the partnership of Hashem. It takes three to create uh, a, a soul, to bring a soul into this realm, a husband, wife, and God. And my, my just my last thing, um, I'm reminded there that the, the Israelites, were the Midrash says, were able to emerge from exile and go in to dwell in the land uh, for four reasons. They didn't change their names. They retained their language, Hebrew language. They didn't inform on each other to the Egyptians, and they did not intermarry. They continue to 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 hold dear the holiness of that Kiddushin, uh, and. In, in, in any society where marriage is coming apart, where you have not just divorce, but you have same-sex marriages, that society is sick spiritually. The soul is sick. Um, so marriage is a, is a barometer for everything else, I think. Anyway, that's all I have. Yeah. Um, it's so nice to have you back and to hear all your connections and your articulation is beautiful. Really. Thank you. Thank you so much. Any Anyone else with a question? I, I know, Rabino, uh, you posted something. I didn't have a chance to look at it yet. I just I just wrote that you see every yantav, you get reminded we have to do the simcha 
And we'll get reminded, the God is always reminding you, you're not home. I want to bring what you said, a proof to your point that we're not in Israel, even we are there because it's still because we're standing in front of the Kotel and still say because our sins. What do you mean? I'm in Israel. No, you're not. Because it doesn't belong to us yet because he did chase us out of there. I was trying to bring you proof. Second thing that was very interesting what you said about the yeshiva. I, I, my Rebbe, who was an old European Rebbe, he at 16 years old knew whole Nach, Redaka Rasha, by heart already. So I'm giving you what he was. So when I was in the first grade, I mean the ninth class in the Mississippi, he scanned the class and he told me, if I'm going to live with somebody weaker than me, and if he won't know, he's going to smack me. I said, the society was the caring part. Those days, the yeshiva was the best top boys. And when he used to question us, he questioned everybody of what he knew he was. That's what made a society. There was the best, Mitzion, to the weakest, and it was one class. And that's the goal that we lost. Because today, we think you have to have special. No, that's not. You have to be able to combine. Some people are, are not learners, so you send them to to make stencils 40 times a day. The other guy is learning. You put him, make sure he knows the Rishba and everything else. And I think that he touched on that and it was very beautiful in the part. And the third part that I think is very important that you get touched, that I think that people are always questioning that we see the society getting so down and down. And my uh, one of the biggest things that I would want to give you a compliment by is by you making the yeshiva open to everybody. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't be there. I wish I was, but but, but opening up, I feel a lot of people, I shouldn't say this, but I'm saying it, I hope I'm not going to get in trouble, feel that they get away from the place and they get freer. And by you opening up the yeshiva for Torah and everything else, the people should understand when they get to Florida, they have the same responsibilities they have in New York. I hope I didn't say too much. They have wherever they live in New York, wherever it is. And I feel I, that's such an important thing that people don't realize Hashem is really all over the place. And he, he really wants society to work together and to be and not to do immoral things. And I think that the Rab, Dr. Dr. Patterson touched on that too. But we have to understand if the Chaini Ben Israel touching on immoral things or not. And if not, around us is being destruction. And people don't realize that the destruction is not around us, it's reminding us, like happening in Maui, look what I could do. I could burn down a place in one second. And nobody even knows. And it's reminding God, hey, I'm warning you. And that's something that I think we have to take. We have to be part of the society, love each other, care for each other, and understand that you can't do something that's immoral. I hope I didn't say too much. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you. Yeah, I hope you come down soon. Yeah, I hope so too. I was there. You always leave when I come. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, thank you, Dr. Horowitz. We'll see. We'll see you next time, Bezos. Uh, Dr. Finkelstein. It's really good to have you back. Really good to be back. It's, re it's really good. Like this was. I feel like my mind's racing still, taking in everything you were saying, and um, I think that 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 the framework you have for thinking about why the Torah is structured the way it is. The, the, the framework of salvation and deliverance that's been so intelligently structured and how we're thinking about what we're doing. It's really, really breathtaking. And the, um, 
the interesting thing about about this is that it's interesting you talk about the it starts off with ray the blessings and the curses and the consequential framework of free will the access that we have we admit that we have that access otherwise why would we bother having blessings and curses right that's that the idea that choices that have consequences and that we have access to a domain of choice right that get that that's the that's the that's the sauce that gets us out of the trap of history as jewish people and and everyone else is like really trapped because they're they're busy building their identities on one another and like and and thinking that's all there is that's that's all this is this is that's all there is 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 the world and 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 what it presents to me and and their civilization has already made a, a, a series of bad choices that don't allow them to act together in concert to change those things. As soon as they're born, they've made those decisions. Wow. And and our civilization, like from the very get-go, is like, no, we have choices, thank you. You guys go ahead and do whatever you're doing. That's pretty dumb. We're going to do this, and it's going to work. And, and it's not that they don't believe that. What's really shocking to me about the Parsha, the, the Torah that you're teaching, is that they actually do believe that. That's why they're saying, that's why they say, oh, these Jews didn't follow their own Torah. That's true. That's a good point. If you think about it, if you think about it, obviously this is going to work. Obviously it would, right? It's just that no one else could do it because they all have to make that decision together in order for that to work. And none of them believe that's possible. Since we have made the decision to do that together as the basis of our civilization, we have a pretty good shot at that working. When it works for us, it'll work for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're, you're partially saying uh, to Henry that if we really get it together, it'll have a natural consequence effect on, on I'm society. saying more than that. I'm saying that's the only thing that's going to have the consequential impact on society. I'm saying that because we acknowledge that we have the choice, we're the only ones that can do it. Yeah, but I think it's a matter of time that the Mac society destructs like the Romans did because they're basically taking away everything, all the safeguards. We, Henry, if we, if we had had Jewish unity at the time of the Romans, they wouldn't have been able to touch us. Yeah, so so Henry, what, what Dr. Finkelstein is really saying is that we, we could still do it, but we, we Jews have to do it. Because why should they believe it's possible unless we do? And unfortunately, what's happened recently in Israel, you know, is the opposite. So the, th the thing about that is that 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 let's talk about this for a second, because that gets to the that gets to where we are. That's the blessing and curse thing. Like the interesting thing, I, it hit me this morning when I was diving that like, what is it that we figured out how to do exactly? And the answer is that the polarization, like when you look at the 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 mindless polarization that grips the rest of the world is they start blaming each other, right? They, that's all, as the, as the world becomes more paralyzed, people start blaming each other. And that's what you're seeing now in Israel with this terrible, terrible accusations against Orthodox Jews, terrible accusations against, against everybody. That these accusations, like they tear apart people because of a process called schismogenesis. Schismogenesis is a ways, ways in which groups begin mindlessly distinguishing themselves from each other. In order for to gain to gain you know political identity and to create distinction, that that's that could be a very mindless process, right? So when we have these differences, like we have a whole recipe for how to overcome them, 
so that we can gain advantages and work together to create more degrees of freedom. And that's the story of USF and Yehuda. When we when we're in a when we're in a pickle, it's not that we don't become polarized. We do. It's that we find a way, unlike every other nation, to not rupture ourselves from the inside and come together so that we can marry the outside circumstances and take advantage of our disagreements and marry the outside circumstances to accommodate the internal vision so that we, we sew together a future for, the, for both ourselves and the world. It's an intricate process we've developed internally, but it's actually a tradition of freedom for the world globally. So that's, that is the magic. That, that is the secret sauce of how we come together from, from between these, the, the anger, how we bridge that. That's, that is how we show a commitment to, to continuity. And it's that commitment that is really, that is really in question. It's that commitment that, we, that it's really bought into, into the crisis when these things get bad. So one second, you're saying the commitment to what is the, is the answer? That, that I'm saying that the that that Ahavas Israel is identical in the in the at the limit to the acceptance of the covenant. That those two things are the same thing at the limit. Fingles. Because ultimately, I, sorry, I want to ask you why would we? The division is not only between the Orthodox and the not the Orthodox. We're talking to Orthodoxy. There's the same division. So why, oh, yeah. why are we going to something that's not? If you look at the Orthodox community who are holding the Torah mitzvahs, and there is a division. So no, listen, a I'm, giving one I'm giving one example of a problem that is replete everywhere, and there's also between the diaspora and Israel, so many different kinds of divisions that are happening now within the Jewish world. So, so many. So the correction to that is what? So the rabbi was saying we have to have this affection for each other. I think, I think it's not just that what we see in the covenant is that it's not just the affection, it's that we have to act in synchronous ways together. It has to be consummated through instrumental action. Yeah. So, I'll, so I'm ask you a question. One guy says you lot to eat machine matzahs. One guy says he can't eat machine matzahs. The world turns over this. How are you going to work together with this till Mashiach comes? I'm giving you a, a, a very normal example. Yeah, the, the answer would be, Rebuto, I think, if you don't mind stepping in here, is that the Rabbanin, Rabbanim in charge have to promote what Beisham and Beisil were promoting is that they would actually marry one another. By the way, and by the way, Rav Gittel, you should know that like now I've just learned that there are like platforms for Rebbeim and Judaism in, in, in Israel. There's like a streaming platform that's bringing all the Rebbeim together. And now you're seeing a huge bloom, and it's unprecedented. It's it's kind of happening behind the scenes, but there's a, there's an app you can download now called Kolel, and it, Kolel is the largest streaming app for rabbis in, in Israel. And what's happening is they've kind of realized that they get a lot more followers, a lot more audience share when they start showing up on each other's shows. It's okay, already begun. I will tell you that it's I, already I, begun. I'm I'm definitely in a place in Baruch Park. You know that you think I just you know that I have it. Even. Shouldn't be existence. This whole thing, the whole internet is is worse than Chazer. You know, you talk. I'm 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 giving you to understand the division. I'm dominating in a place where the rabbi says internet is worse than the worst thing. It can't even happen. Shouldn't look at it. I love the man. He's a friend of mine. No, hey, so all, all I'm saying is, Rebuto, is that there have to be rabbanim that are saying even if you hold differently, whether it's about the machine matzah or the internet use, you have to be able to love one another and marry each other. 
that won't happen because you all that won't marry. And I think whether okay, one second, maybe maybe you're right that it won't happen, but that's what Shamayn Hill did, and that would be yeah, the answer. True, true. Hopefully true. you're wrong. Hopefully it will if, happen. If 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 uh, and just if I may Please. step in this exciting Please. conversation, I know that 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 there is such a thing as peaceful coexistence between people who can agree to disagree if they have a larger agenda. So if we're all in the same boat, we kind of have to survive in that boat and maybe we can put aside our differences until we get to a safer or a better place. I think everything is about peaceful coexistence, being united in the Shema, which is kind of the, the seminal prayer for us. It's It doesn't say Shema, you, or I listen, or I hear, or I understand it's Shema Yisrael. Because even in that very personal moment of connecting to Hashem, that connection is better through the nation, including the people that I disagree with. Just like when you have the incense, you have the one incense that doesn't exactly fit with the others. It doesn't smell so nice. So why do you need that incense with the other incense to offer up uh, the incense offering? Because we have to learn to get along, even if it doesn't smell right or doesn't fit with what we think is aesthetic or perfect. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's very well said. Bearing in mind the need that we really do need to be bonded and fight together till we get to a more secure place should be a very powerful motivator. That's true. Thank you all so much. It was a joy. Thanks, Rob. Great to have you back. Thank you. Nice to be back. Shabbat shalom. No more breaks. Shabbat shalom. Thank you. Shabbat everybody. Therese, can you come on by? Maybe we'll bring Dr. Finkelstein down and you'll come by. Let's 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 make a date. I love it. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. I miss it. Thank you. Thank you. Good job. Sharif, can we?